everyone, and welcome to this, the 23rd edition of the Modern Woodworkers Association online discussion about all things woodworking. I'm Tom Iovino of Tom'sWorkbench.com, and I'll be your host for the program. Remember, you can learn more about us and check our audio and video of this and previous podcasts at the Modern Woodworkers Association.com and follow the MWA at Twitter at MWA underscore national. Joining me today for hijinks and all sorts of other tomfoolery and skylarkings is from Hotlanta, Georgia, the home of Coca-Cola, the location of the 1996 Summer Olympics, and the birthplace of the Modern Woodworkers Association, Chris Atkins from High Rock Woodworking. Chris, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Tom. How are you? You, you kind of threw me for a second. I, I like the new little uh, throwing in a little bit of info in the beginning there. It kind of... Uh, Kind of gave people to, to know exactly who we are. So if you I'm jump trying, on here for the first time. I'm trying to elucidate or <laughs> I something like that. Like that. that that's, <laughs> that's the whole idea. Gave us, gave us a, yeah, it gave us a little versatility. and you know, so people Really what a, it does is it gives you a longer time to go to the kitchen and get yourself a snack and then come back uh, to watch the rest of the Worthless Podcast. So <laughs> I see, I see. <laughs> we're, we're, we're providing this as a service to people. It's so like an intermission, but at the beginning. Now, now Chris... Everything okay up at you? Because we heard there were some bad storms that came through. We we had some storms today, but uh, we were fortunate. We didn't have anything. They were they were having some uh, some tornado uh, warnings actually right by my office, and uh, I don't know from what I understand about probably ten miles above our office, I think a tornado touched down. But uh, we didn't have anything. We just had some some pretty bad rain and. I don't know. I hate to say this because you say you say this, and and you know tornadoes are terrible, and people get all this this, you know, it's it's horrible for it. But you know, when you get these big storms come through, and you're sitting in the office, there was no one in the office today, and it's pouring the rain out. It was kind of relaxing for me. So I, I nobody I, can get anywhere, so it's all good. It's like a bad snowstorm, I guess. But I wouldn't no, know anything no. about that. No, it, it sounds like it, it wasn't too bad. So fortunately, we, we well, kind yeah, of that's avoided. good. I did, I did see the pictures from the highway just north of you guys, and it didn't look good. So yeah, again, you know, tis the season. Please pay attention, everybody. And, and also from non-storm, from a non-story area, stormy area of the country right now is from beautiful and ever dark, ever nocturnal Long Island, New York. Yes, folks, Long Island is the proper pronunciation. <laughs> Is Diami Plotki of the penultimate woodshop.com. Diami, what the heck is going on by you? Oh, it's just another fun, sunny, non stormy day here in New York. Sunny? I promise. It was, I got to take a picture of the sun and just send it to you guys. It was The sun actually came out for about an hour today. Diami, I could never stay in the sun. Diami, I can find a picture of the sun online and say it's from anywhere. <laughs> I hold up a new It's true. <laughs> Everything else going okay up there by you? No, uh, no winter storms, right? No, not yet. We need some. Yeah, a little bit of snow. That uh, that that kind of makes for exciting times, especially with little ones staying home from school. Put them to work, sleeping up the shop, right? Well, I, I tell you, with uh, with Hurricane Sandy, we've already eaten up all of our snow days and some more. The kids actually Ooh. have to go to school during winter break to make up for all the time they miss because of Sandy. Wow. Again, something we don't have to worry about in Florida, but that's okay. Um, and it looks like the gang's all here, which is a really good thing because this month we've got some things going on. Now let's talk about somebody in our midst, <clears throat> DeAndre Pilaki, um, who was uh, published recently in a, in a very prestigious magazine. DeAndre, please elucidate. Please 
remunerate. Go forth and, and let us know what happened. Well, I was uh, lucky enough to have my second full article published in this month's issue of Fine Home Building. I say this month. It's actually March 2, 2013 issue. And nice. it's, uh, it's an article on, on how to flash a chimney, which is certainly the most fascinating thing to most people. But I have gotten a bunch of, uh, a bunch of my friends who have been interested in it, and you can kind of see here. It's actually my next-door neighbor's house, and we just ripped apart the shingles and, and redid that. And then I had a second article in the same issue that focused specifically on how to bend the flashing. So if you actually have any interest in doing mixed media and combining some sheet metal into your work, which I'd actually recommend. I like the look of copper mixed in with wood. Um, this could be very helpful. Or if you just have a house, hopefully you so, find it interesting. So this is how to flash your china hutch. Exactly. Exactly. It could be. Now, Deami, I do have to ask you one very serious question, um, and I, I think this really deserves an answer. If you flash your chimney in winter, don't you get cold? You do get cold. I mean, wouldn't you like flash your chimney like in the summer when it was warmer, so there wouldn't be any problems with like wah, exposure wah, issues? Wah. The, the only issue that Tom, we're real men here in New York, and we go out in the cold. So the only really? issue with with winter installations is, frankly, that you're cold while you're doing it. But you know, I imagine copper, being up on a roof, holding cold metal, and working. I, in, I you know wings. what? I can imagine being up on a roof so much that I was on three roofs today. Who knew a roofer amongst us? <laughs> what are the odds? All right. Also, there's a little something about now. There's an annual rite of spring, which takes place in the United States and other places where the Boy Scouts, actually the Cub Scouts, work. Um, and from what I understand, um, going into the Pinewood Derby against the Plotky family would not be the best idea. I don't think so. We we came and kicked ass. So talk. That's to pretty awesome. I saw that. Yeah, I've got I've got twins who are wolves. And it took three races between so just the two of them to determine that Stephen was the winner of the Wolves. And then when we were all done, it took two races between just the two of them to determine that Dylan was the winner overall. So we, uh, we, we made out as best we could have. It was, a, it was actually a really nice night on Saturday. Sweet. And a splendid time with Guarantee Heroes. So, like, did you, did, was, there, was there celebration? Was a reverie in the streets? What, what was going on? By the time we were all done, it was mostly parents saying, thank God the night is over. It's um, done for this year. Yeah, when we have our next pack meeting, they'll give out awards and there'll be a bit of revelry. But at this point, it was more relief that it was over. Well, you know what? Every so often, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to be done with. But you'll be ready for next year. You'll, you'll, you'll be plow right into it. Plan to win again next year. Seriously. You know, just just become a dynasty, the Pulaski dynasty. <laughs> I think that's what we need to have. Now, um, Chris, back in Hotlanta, there's something going on in Hotlanta that you probably need to know about. That's right. We've got uh, this this coming weekend. Um, we actually have uh, at Highland Woodworking downtown here in Atlanta. We have um, Highland is doing one of their their yearly, and actually, it's more than that right now. Um, they've got Lee Nelson's going to be there, and uh, they're also going to have Chris Schwartz there. I think he's actually teaching a class on Saturday, hmm. um, and he's going to be doing some demonstrations in there and, and talking a little bit, and Lee Nelson's going to be there uh, um, bringing some of their stuff. So um, so that should be a uh, should be a fun event. We're going to be hanging out, and the MWA's planning on being there. Um, 
I think right now what, what we're planning on doing is at 10 o'clock we're all going to meet there and just kind of walk and see things and uh, and we uh, probably do some lunch and stuff like that. Um, actually, mm-hmm. Scott Meek is uh, going to be driving down from at uh, from Asheville and, uh, and joining Scott us. Meek. Scott Meek of the handcrafted Scott that's, Meek hand planes. That's correct. And uh, so Scott's going to actually be joining us on the next episode so you can hear more about Scott but uh, this weekend he's going to be hanging out with uh, with me and some of the Atlanta guys and uh, hopefully get to spend some time uh, talking about woodworking and enjoying yeah, the the Lee Nielsen events are a great time I was lucky to go to one in Boston uh, not Boston in Brooklyn a few weeks ago um, it was it was a lot more fun than I would have imagined so I'd have a great time out there and if anybody's anywhere near Atlanta they should definitely come and and I'll tell you, I mean, if you're anywhere near Atlanta, not only that you're going to get to come and hang out with all of us guys, but just the fact of going to Highland is uh, phenomenal. I mean, that is just one of the most beautiful stores. It is absolutely gorgeous in there. Um, just a neat place just to go and walk around anytime. I like going in there just with nobody there at all, much less when you've got some, some cool stuff like this going on. So oh, for sure. if you're anywhere close, come out and, and walk around. Now, there's something I saw that's online, but I think it might be best announced by our guest later today. So, please, our mystery guest. So, please hold on. We're going to revisit some of this stuff that's going on there. Now, anything in the blogosphere that piqued our interest? Was there anything that really stood out? And by the way, I am going to say something very important. Next week is Get Woodworking Week 2013. Um, last year, we had a lot of people participate. A lot of bloggers came out and, and, and wrote articles about the purpose of Get Woodworking Week, which is how to start woodworking. I mean, just how to get out there, how to get off square zero and, and get moving. Um, a lot of people, you know, they see these design shows. They sometimes will watch woodworking shows or this old house, and they'll, and they'll think to themselves, well, gosh, wouldn't that be wonderful if I could do that? And really, the purpose of this uh, week is to get people to stop saying, well, gosh, wouldn't it be nice if, and get people out into the shop. Um, you know, you don't have to invest a fortune in the highest-end tools. You don't have to have a 5,000-square-foot shop or you need a golf cart to get around on the inside. There's a lot of woodworking to be done at a very small level. Um, work your way up into things. Um, there's a number of uh, articles about how to find the right tools for your shop, about the philosophy about how to get out there into your shop to begin with. Um, where to find wood on the cheap. All these things are out there. So uh, so definitely next week, the first full week of February, is going to be a big one for a lot of articles. So while we don't really have specific articles right now, trust me, next week there's going to be a whole library of articles that are coming out, blog posts. So please, please, please join in in the fun. Tom, Tom I want to say one thing about that. You know, it's first of all, I mean, it's awesome. You know, you started this, I don't know what, Two years ago, or was it? it was last year, last year was the first year. Yeah, was last yeah. year the first? I couldn't remember if it was yeah. last year or the year before. Anyway, you know, I, I've been, um, I've been going and, and finding. It, it's crazy when you start looking at how many of these, uh, how many books you can find in the public domain. So I've been going on some of these public domain and just pulling up a lot of these woodworking books and stuff, and just find. And it's insane how many are out there. But what oh, makes yeah. me sick about them is when you start looking at them, you know what 90% of these public domain woodworking books are? They are books that were written for teachers in schools to teach their kids. 
So it's like you find all the stuff out there of where they taught all these kids and stuff, and now we just don't do it. I mean, there's some places, no. you know, people, you talk to them and they do, but there's so many that don't, and it's just such a shame that, that you know, that that's such a, a past. And some of these books, I mean, I'm telling you, they if you haven't went on and looked just public, just go in and search public domain and, and type in, in woodworking, and you'd be some awesome books. I mean, some of these books were written back early 1900s, and they're as relevant today as, as they were in 1912. Chris, you know, and, and I, you know, you, you hit the nail right on the head. I mean, I, when I look at what's going on out there in, in schools, and my wife's a teacher, so we, we get a chance to see very intimately what goes on. There's such a push to get people to go to college. It's, right. it's college is it. And if you're not there, well, then you're just a failure. Try to find right. something with your life. And ultimately, not everybody's really cut out for college. Um, not everybody is cut out to go get a four-year degree. Um, the vocations are just incredibly uh, rewarding. Um, and, and there's such a gap in the number of people who can get the – how many jobs are available and how few people are to fill those jobs. Right. Um, you know, one of the things I do link to on my site is uh, Mike Rowe Works, which is the uh, Mike Rowe's uh, – Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs. Mm -hmm. He's an advocate of – of uh, yeah, vocational right. education. Um, get it out there. Get people to learn. And since we can't really go into the schools now and say, well, make it happen, we have a responsibility as online right. woodworkers to be out there to, 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 to get some people off the sideline and build a little excitement to make it not just like, well, okay, I'm going to go build, uh, I'm going to go build a table. You know, it's right. got to be like, gosh, this is an adventure. And people want to, want to do stuff. They cooking, is one of the fastest growing hobbies. And it's not just like put something on the table, but like I want to make it like a chef. Right. So people want to get hands-on and really develop with skill a masterpiece meal. Well, here's another option you've got. doesn't require a tremendous investment in tools, a tremendous investment in space, but you can still do incredible things right out of the gate. And that's yeah. what we're trying to do. The whole purpose of this week is to really just get people out there. Just if you think you can't, Give it a whirl. Maybe you you don't know. Maybe you'll be one of the best woodworkers in the world has ever seen. Absolutely, I agree. Absolutely. Tom, to get to the, uh, the the technicalities of how Get Woodworking Week is going to going to work, mm -hmm. um, I know you're spearheading the whole thing. Are you going to link to other blog posts? Are you going to repost them on your site? How can people find all the different blog posts? Okay, here's what's going to happen. I've gotten in touch with a lot of people out there, and including our guests. Um, and one of the things we've done is we. I put out a message to everybody. If you're writing something for Get Woodworking Week, send me the link. And what I'm going to do, um, we're going to be able to, uh, I'm going to write my post. I'm going to write a post every day um, during the whole week. So all seven days I'm going to have a post up. But I'm going to link to the articles that others have written. So you can read my post. And then when you get to the bottom, we'll be able to click a link and then go to whoever's post. So if you see something that kind of piques your interest, click and go. I'm going to work as a repository. I have a link on my site of last year's posts. If you want to take a look at some really incredible woodworking, some really insightful thought into why you should get involved, if you've been standing on the sideline, check out the posts. Uh, you know, I have a link to uh, Get Woodworking. and Please, please, please check those out because, wow, I, I didn't realize that this is going to be this big. And this year it looks like it's going bigger still, which is, yeah. it does my heart so much good. It's going to be great. Well, you know, we'll see. Seven days of fun coming up. So, And then after that, I think I'll take a break. <laughs> <laughs> For like a day. You're never going to get to 2,000 posts with that attitude. Okay, all right. 
I'll get right back on it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Enough of that. Okay. So anything else going on at MWA that we need to be aware of for the good of the order? I think it's... Well, I want to say it's quiet, but it's more that I've been busy and haven't looked. So I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize to anybody if there is something going on that, that we're missing. But if you want us to talk about an event, please just let us know and we'll gladly share it. But at this point, I think we've shared all that we know at this point. And one of the things that is going on, the woodworking show is moving around the country. So if you are in an area where this, uh, a city where the show is going to be, stop in. If you're right. a member of the MWA, please announce it to everybody. Let them know what you're all about, and that way we can kind of spread the word about what's going on for sure. Anything else? All right. Well, I, I, mm-hmm. I can't even begin to know what to tell you about our new guest, uh, our guest today. Um, this guy has such a history in woodworking, yet he's not a woodworker. But he has such a history in woodworking, um, just an incredible uh, – uh, it goes back. Woodworkers know the name – um, going back years now, and it's always stood for quality, um, especially when it comes to blades and bits. And it's my pleasure to introduce David Venditto uh, from Infinity Cutting Tools to the Modern Woodworkers Association. David, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Can you see me? We can see we can you see and hear you. Two out of two ain't bad. That's good. <laughs> David, welcome. Thank you very much for coming out tonight. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for inviting me. Now, David, the story of Infinity Cutting Tools has to actually go back a generation to your dad. Talk to me a little bit. You, you've shared a lot of it with me about your dad. Talk, talk to me a little bit about your dad and how he got into this. Oh, boy, that's – I mean, he got into the cutting tool business when he was in Italy, and he was a traveling salesman for a very small company called um, – we call it Freud. Freud. Mm-hmm. At the time, Freud was a, a specialty tool maker in the 70s in the region in Italy where there were a lot there was a lot of chair building. Mm-hmm. So they would make custom tooling for the chair builders, and um, they would just go around in their cars to the little little mom and pop shops and ask them what kind of tooling they needed. And they really developed a lot of the technology to grind the carbide, custom profiles to make um, custom furniture, basically, what the Italians were producing. And then they saw the, the market in the U.S., and that's what they tried to get to. Now, now he, he worked with Freud when he was here in the United States as well, but eventually he formed another company, Drasada Tools. Yeah. Now so, you were part. You're part of Jasada, aren't you? Yeah. Well, His the name. name yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The name stands is Jessica, Sabrina, and David, which is my two sisters and me. So, um, yeah. So when my dad started, um, he he. So he did the Freud thing, and that became quite a big company, as you as you're aware. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he wanted to do his own thing, which he called CMT. Okay. He contacted the CMT folks in Italy and said, "Hey." Uh, make me a line of tools for the U.S. and make them this way. And then that became a big thing. And then he said, well, we'll do something different now. And then, yeah, that's how Jasada started. Okay. Now, they were uh, they were uh, made, actually, not here in the United, not just here in the United States, but also in, in Pinellas County in the west coast of Florida. The Jasada products? Yes. 
Yeah, when I, so I started working for my dad in, in uh, his factory in 1994. Okay. So that's how I that's how I got my that's how I started in the tool business. So we 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 built a factory and um, um, that's how I learned about bits and blades and shaper cutters. Yeah, just in Oldsmar here, actually, right next to the building where I'm at right now. Okay, so you were I mean you're right there in that and actually that building's still in the family from way back when. Yeah, the building that I'm in right now is owned by my parents, so they're my they are my landlords. <laughs> It's good work if you can get it, right, guys? Yeah. Well, I was finishing my my lease finished where I was over by the airport, and my, the place was uh, too small. We had outgrown it, and um, the building that um, that my parents had been leasing after my um, they they sold their business that Jasada was sold. Uh, the people that were in it were uh, were after eleven years getting out, so uh, timing was worked out pretty well. Okay. And uh, so, yep, yeah, that's where we're at. And then uh, when you moved in there, you had a lot more space, almost four or five times the space you had in your old location. Yeah, we went from 2,000 to almost 10,000 square feet. Wow. wow. That's a nice jump. Yeah. And, it's, you know, it's, funny because, it's big. Yeah. It's funny because I went into the warehouse when you just painted it, and it looked like you could set up a, almost, almost an indoor practice field for the Buccaneers you know, in there. It was almost, almost big enough you could have, like, you know, the team's practice and punk and all that other business. Well, we we laid out we laid we laid our inventory in you know in rows of shelving and we, and I just thought, man, I got a lot more inventory I need to add, a lot more a lot more products we need to add. We're just scratching the surface really with what we have now in so, a lot of ways. So, David, the, explain that to the listeners and stuff. I mean, you what do you guys mainly specialize in? What for for our listeners is kind of your specialty as far as is, is tools and things go? What do you mainly cover? Well, yeah, well, I bring the so the whole kind of background and how we started was in saw blades and router bits and shaper cutters, so the kind of the core cutting tools, if you will, mm-hmm. right. accessories for for machinery, and then uh, um, and then in the last few years we've expanded that and brought in accessories for all, all those tools, so accessories for the router, accessories for the table saw, accessories for the shaper. Um, auxiliary items that you need in your shop. You know, we sell sandpaper now. We sell clamps now. We sell. Um, we've got several thousand items now. Mm-hmm. When we started, we started with fifty different SKUs of router bits. Right. So you know, wow. one one new item at a time, uh, and uh, just kind of grows, and your inventory just kind of keeps growing. But like I say, we have a big big space now, so it motivates me to keep adding more stuff. I remember I heard, I, I was listening and commenting about uh, Highland, and um, I've never actually been to Highland Hardware. I do want to go in, but I can imagine that must be a fantastic place, and this kind of one of my uh, I have to. I want to make the pilgrimage. I got I got to go and check it out. <laughs> Well, if you, make the pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. Hey, if you make the pilgrimage, you're you're always welcome uh, welcome up here. We're we're not too far away. So, well, thank uh, you very much. Thank you. So, if you ever do, let me know. Well, uh, now, 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 David, yours is a world pri- not primarily of wood, but more of steel and carbide. Um, you know, you, the, the, the the raw materials come in, and out your end product isn't a piece of furniture or a table or anything. It's it's a router bit, a saw blade. I think there's a lot of people who don't understand just what carbide is. And it's really one of the most important parts 
of, of the modern shop when you think about it. Anybody who uses a power tool uses carbide typically. So what is carbide? Why, what, what are some of the things people need to look for? Well, carbide is really, really hard, and you can sharpen it. Okay. And you can stick it on steel. You can stick it on steel in a uh, consistent fashion that allows it to be abused when it's spinning at X amount of thousands of RPMs mm -hmm. cutting your wood. So, you know, the brazing process of sticking the carbide, carbide, a chunk of carbide onto a uh, cutter body and then profiling that carbide tip and making it into something that's going to cut your wood. Mm -hmm. Accurately, that's something that is um, was a great advance. I think carbide was kind of invented by um, uh, was a German guy, I think, possibly in the twenties. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when it started to evolve from because before that, of course, they had saw blades, but they were all high speed steel. Mm -hmm. Okay, or they were steel. And then the German, uh, the name eludes me right now, but he 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 made uh, uh, he was able to get the tungsten and the cobalt, which binds it together. Um, to actually form a piece of carbide, and then they were able to, it's called sintered carbide, and they are able to okay. braze that onto the steel body and sharpen it. And then all of a sudden, that just revolutionized. I mean, it's kind of like kind of, uh, the iPhone revolutionizing, you know, smartphones kind of thing back in the 20s and 30s. So when, when, you, say, when you say that carbide can be sharpened, can the consumer sharpen? I mean, it's pretty hard stuff. Well, you, the consumer can't sharpen it without the right equipment. That's what I was getting at, right. Yeah. So. Can't sharpen it without the right equipment. I mean, right. when we were manufacturing router bits um, at, at the plant here, we, um, uh, we were the first ones to come out with this five-axis grinding technology. Mm -hmm. So it, before that, you used to take like a straight router bit. You got the shank of the router bit, and okay. then you got the flutes, right? Most of them are two flutes, let's say. Yeah. So you've got three surfaces mainly on the on the of the router bit. You got the face, you got the end, and you got the OD, right? What forms the outer diameter. So you used to have to do that in three with three different machines. Mm -hmm. We came out with this. We bought some machines that you were able to insert the router bit into the machine, close the door, and it was all computer numerical controlled, and you could grind the face a probe would come down and figure out where the face is okay relative to you know how CNC machines work relative to uh, some point in space mm -hmm. index 180 degrees find the other face or the other flute machine would go back home and it was there were different shapes of diamond wheels because you have to have different shapes of wheels to mm -hmm. grind the different parts of the profile Make a long story short, we were able to grind the router bit in, in one setup. So you put the bit in the machine, you hit the go button, and the thing would come out complete and finished. Nice. So which this was a huge advantage because now, instead of having an, an operator grab the bit from the face operation, take it out of the chuck, as soon as you've taken the bit out of the chuck, you've lost, you've lost the precision of the edge. Sure. Because now you have to chuck it up in a different machine. So you're going from one collet to another collet. You, you've lost. If you're talking thousandths of an inch, you've just lost the precision. Okay. So wow. we, were, we would be able to take a router bit complete out of this five-axis machine, and I still have samples at my office. Really, really superb 
quality products, great, great, great looking product, and they cut like they cut like the Dickens. Nice. Now, do you use that technology on any other bits, or is it just on on router bits? That technology was born in the um, solid carbide spiral industry. Hmm. When you make solid carbide spiral bits, you buy blank rod. Most I've of the time, carbide. okay. Yeah, carbide rod. Most of the time, you'll buy it centerless, already centerless ground. So if you buy a half-inch diameter spiral bit, it, the tolerance on that is a you know is less than a thousandth of an inch because you're buying a centerless ground rod. That is, you know, point four nine 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 to is just basically two or three tenths actually. If you buy a centerless round solid solid piece of carbide, you put it in the machine, and it because it's got five axes, it's turning the carbide while the wheel is grinding. Can you let you can picture kind of the spiral happening? Mm-hmm. Now you could justify a machine that cost three hundred thousand dollars to make spiral bits because those were a lot more expensive. And you could have preloaders that would just go all night, 24 hours a day, to pick up the rods, electronic pick up the rod, and insert it into the machine. Because they were only cylinders, so it's very easy to automate that. Try to pick up a multi-profile router bit and do that and do that with it. You can't. you got to do that by hand, so you have to have a guy there doing that. So the five-axis technology was born from the solid carbide industry, the spiral fluted industry, where they could make thousands of these spiral fluted bits, and the price was relatively high per bit. So you could justify an, an, you know, an investment like that. Wow. We had five of these machines. Wow. That's a lot of investment in tooling. Yeah, and we were the guinea pig, really, for the, for the company. So it took us like a couple of years to figure out actually how to do it all right. Now it's not just router bits with you guys; it's also saw blades as well. Um, and and uh, of course, you know, a saw blade being a steel circle with carbide teeth embedded or or brazed to the different teeth. So, is it the same type of process with this, or is it a different process? Well, saw blades is is from an automation standpoint and from a brazing standpoint even easier because you've got a round disc there. So you can have an array of CNC machines lined up, and you don't even have to have really a lot of human intervention if you don't want to. You can pick up a plate, stick it on a machine, wait for it for that operation to be done. They're like actually suction cups on the end mm-hmm. of this little hand, and they, they suck onto the steel body and they move it over to the next operation, and it just keeps going down. You know, just keeps going down the line. And they're grinding different parts of the of the teeth as it yeah. moves from machine to machine. Okay, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of different quality. There's a lot of different quality. There's a lot of different qualities in carbide. I remember one of the things we used to do at the shop is we used to give the tours at the factory. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the end of the tours, people would always look at me and they would just say, "Man, I never realized how much went into making a router bit." Wow. I never really thought about it because you're just kind of doing it all the time. But you know, by the time the the bar the 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 steel bar comes in one end, and then you get a router bit down the other end. You know, and I was responsible. One of the things I was doing was make getting those bits and cutting with them. Okay, at the end you put them in a router and then cut wood. Yeah, we had multiple router stations set up where we would take X bits out of each run and we would, you know, run the hell out of them and we would just beat them up basically. So, and that and that brings up about that was actually about what I was going to ask you. I mean, how much testing goes into these? Because I mean, obviously you're dealing primarily every day with steel where the end user of this is doesn't really think much about the steel, and they just care about the wood. I mean, is that is there a lot of 
of use goes into that, and where you you get into a shop and and play around with some wood and see how these things, you know, how they they work and test the products. Oh yeah, yeah, big time. Good. Yeah, randomly we um, we take the bits, the saw blades, the dado sets, and we run them, and we make sure that they're cutting the way they're supposed to cut. Um, I was at the uh, St. Pete um, Woodworkers Guild a few weeks back, and Tom was there, and uh, oh. he was in and be he was uh, sworn in as a VP. The new VP. <laughs> yeah, and 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 I was I was you know talking with them, and uh, I was saying you know guys we're we're starting some woodworking classes, and um and one of the guys in the back goes, um, well you've talked a lot about your tools, but do you do any woodworking? <laughs> that was and, my uh, next I, question, David. <laughs> yeah, and I said, well, I haven't actually put anything together, but I've got a mountain of scraps of wood that can fill up <laughs> half of this factory. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, my next thing now is actually to get to get into woodworking, and so that's one of the th- one of the things that um, uh, I'm, I'm excited about to get woodworking week and the space that we have now, the space that we have now in our shop is going to allow me to put together a woodworking shop, and we already started to do that. So um, yeah, I'm excited about getting into it. Now, David, talk to me about the space. I've, I've seen it. Um, it's really cool. But just tell us a little bit about the uh, the, the, the philosophy behind it, the uh, location in the in the room, what you're trying to accomplish by having that class there, right in that right in that warehouse. Um. Well, we want to have a place locally. See, we we get a lot of walk-in customers, and I don't advertise. Mm. Walk-in customers, mm. so That's we nice. get a lot of walking. We get a lot of walk-in customers. They just find us. Guilty as charged. Hey, well, uh, that's great, you know, and uh, and so we get a lot of walk-in customers. A lot of times, when people will, you know, they'll talk to me, and I'll ask them, you know, where do you guys do? Where do you guys learn woodworking, or what? And, and there's not really very many places locally that I know of. I know that you can take some classes at our local woodcraft. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a school in uh, in downtown Tampa where you can take some woodworking Franklin classes, sure. but but that I know of that I've been able to find, there's not many places where you can like get some you know get some basic woodworking classes on. Hey, here's a router, and here's how to set up your router bits in your router table or handheld routing. Here's how to get the most from your saw blades. Here's what happens. Why is your saw blade burning? Here's, you know, here are some things that you can do to fine tune your saw. I mean, I'm on, I'm on the phone a lot with my customers. So I'm talking to these guys and I'm, and sometimes I have to troubleshoot some problems that they might be having. And, um, and so you get a kind of a feeling of, the struggles people are having with certain tools or certain techniques, and it's 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 not you know one person. It's a lot of people having the same problem. So I, my idea was maybe teach some basic stuff that people are are possibly you know could could uh, have a better foundation mm-hmm. in and and just keep it simple. I mean we're not going to start teaching you know hand cut. Uh, uh, hand cut dovetails the first class it's going to be really it's going to be just get the most out of your machines kind of thing for the first few classes and I you know I, I think you know a lot of people don't even understand what kind of a multitasking tool they have in a router when they buy it they think they're just going to put a little profile on something or they might use the plunge cut for a, a mortise or something but there's so many more things you can do with the tool 
that if you know how to operate it properly and and, and put it in the right application, it, it can just do tremendous things. Sure. I mean, you're going to be able. To, I mean, you can take a router and and do all your dovetails. All your mortise and tendons, all your—I mean—you can do all that, rabbits and dados and all that stuff if you, you want. Even, if you, you can set even it up. join the boards, you can even join the boards. Sure, you can. Flat boards, so flatten I mean, them out, join them. You can do all kinds right. of stuff with it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So that's you know, looking forward to looking forward to that. Actually, our first class is on the 9th of February, and uh, we've got eight people in the class. It's um, uh, it's about we've got about four people right now. And uh, we just started advertising it a few days ago, mm-hmm. um, so I think there's gonna I think there's gonna be some interest, and um, uh, and the the bonus for me is that I'm gonna be learning you know to do some woodworking. That's always the good bonus to put it together. You get to sit out of the class, but also get to learn. That's the <laughs> best part. <laughs> yeah, David, are you bringing in woodworkers to teach the class, or is it being taught by in-house staff? How are you staffing the the school? We're doing, um, I've made an acquaintance uh, about a year ago with a uh, local woodworker. Um, uh, he actually come down from Atlanta, but he originally is from Tampa. Mm. And um, he is quite an accomplished local furniture builder, um, just all around good guy. And um, he's a teacher of woodworking. And uh, we started talking, and um, you know that was one of the ideas that him and I had was, you know, when I have space and when I move to the new place, I'll put together a little shop and do some woodworking classes. So, um, yeah, his name is Kurt. He's a local uh, furniture maker, and he's going to be doing the. Uh, he's going to start out doing the classes, but we want to have um, other kind of guest t- teachers as well. Eventually, that's uh, that's a that's a goal also. Nice. It's good to have goals like that. David, yeah. you, you mentioned you mentioned struggles when we were talking about setting up the shop and struggles, and I don't think there's any one bit in a router collection that gives people more trouble than the lock miter bit. Um, I've yeah. used one, and I consider it the spawn of the devil, but that's just me, and I'm sure other people might agree. Uh, it is the most uh, frustrating uh, uh, of bits to use, and I've wasted, I believe, somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty-five to thirty hours in the shop just trying to get to work. <laughs> and said, you know what? I, if I could chuck this thing as far as I possibly could, I would. Um, what is what makes that bit so darn challenging? And what are some of the tactics you can use to attack it? Well, you, that bit has got. Different from other bits is that you're setting it up on two axes. So you've got X and Y. Mm-hmm. You've got the fence and you've got the height of the bit. And if those two things are not, and unfortunately, <laughs> if they're not deadly accurate, the damn thing is going to annoy you, and it's not going to work. You know, and you're not going to get it to work right. David, annoyance is just the so mild of a word. <laughs> <laughs> the feeling that, that I was trying to find the right with. word. It's something that's suitable for radio, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we we actually give we we I got I used to get so many phone calls trying to explain to people how to set up their lock miter bit. You know, people would call me and they'd say, "Damn it, this bit is broken. It's defective. I've been here for days. It's not working." And you know, they would call me every name under the sun. So. I, I just thought one day, well, I'm just going to make the setup blocks, and I'm just going to give them away. So we have um, we buy three quarter inch 
well, our supplier calls it cutting board. Okay. It's it's a nice material. It's basically white plastic. It's it's dimensionally very stable. Okay. And um, we have it cut in two inch wide strips, and um, we run strips of setup blocks, and we chop the setup blocks, and we include um, for the lock miter and the lock miter junior, we include a setup block in each bit with each bit that we sell. And that helps actually quite a bit. That has cut down on that has cut down on the questions we've got. But no one ever calls anymore on the lock miter. Has it cut down on cursing? It has, yeah. But the the only the 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 problem with that is that it it goes by the thickness of your material. So I give you a three quarter inch setup block. If you're using five eighths material, you can't use the setup block. So. David, explain what the lock miner does, can you? Well, it basically makes a 45-degree locking joint that comes to a pretty sharp point. And it's really nice because it's it gives you a ton of glue surface. Um, and if you've done it and if you set the bit up accurately, it'll come to pretty much a razor point, a knife edge. Um, and you can't see you can't see the joint. Um, it's just a, it's just a really nice, very mechanically strong joint. And the but benefit nice is crisp miter, right? And and the benefit is rather than just gluing them, cutting the miter, trying to glue that up, or it slides back and forth. There's actually that notch that fits in inside, right. which actually makes it a little easier to to assemble when it's cut properly. Right. And you know what we'll do on that? We need to. Uh, Let's let's put a thing maybe in our show notes once we post on the page there. We'll put a uh, a picture of that up because it's it's a pretty cool. Uh, Diami actually had it up just a minute ago. But if you if you've never saw this this bit, it's a it's a pretty cool bit if you're going to do miters because um, like Tom was saying, it does lock that together. Um, but boy, so how we'll, they cutting that? Right. We'll put a link up on that just just in the show notes so you can take a look at it. But it's one of our most popular router bits. It's one of our most popular bits. We're actually working on a little jig right now that I'm finalizing, and we, it will allow you to set up lock miter bits. Uh, honestly, not no exaggeration in in seconds. Actually, how how thin any, a material? Any thickness can you, of material, uh, and that's what I was saying. So, you, pretty much any thickness you can use. I mean, down to our mini our mini lock miter works. I want to say. Three eighths to no, ha, yeah, three eighths to five eighths or three eighths to three quarters, and the regular lock miter bit I think works from a half inch up to inch and a quarter or something like that. Okay, I'm I'm skeptical, but I'm confident that you can figure you know, it out. And, and, but now you've got seconds. me. Now you've got me wanting to to try the the smaller leg. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a, it's a great. You think about doing small boxes and stuff like that. I mean, it's always such a pain when you're trying to do small miters. And, and when you're taking a little box or something like that, most of the time a miter is the cleanest way you can do it. So mm-hmm. if you've got one that will work down to a 3 eighths or something, that's that's pretty awesome. So when you guys make a box, how do you typically join the corners? Just with a miter? Um, I might do a miter with a spline that I cut down. I'll go on a table saw and do an eighth-inch kerf. And then cut an eighteenth piece of of wood and stick it in there as a, as a spline, so you get it running down across the joint, so that locks it into place. 
I, I do I do the miter keys a lot, so I'll I'll um mm-hmm. you know, I, I've got a I've got a, a jig that I use on my table salts where I can cut those notches on the corners and I use that as accent pieces, but I, I still I mean I I do you know, you can use dovetails, you can use finger joints and but still if you're doing a little box, it's just most of the time it's too much and a miter is just much cleaner. So if you can come up with, you know, a good way to lock those miters in, it's definitely the cleanest look. So, um, and, the, and the thing is, it's a real siren song because you go to a woodworking show and somebody's out there and they've got the router table and they're, they're real carnival barkers. They get up, yeah, everybody stiff around. I'll show you what's going on. And they get out there and, and I guess the router is set up to like a, a gazillionth of an inch and they right. know exactly what they're doing. They rip, rip, and they put it together and you're like, I'm buying three, and you get it home, and you're like, "What the heck was this guy doing?" <laughs> yeah, well, it's very at the shows. They're very good at it. Yes, they you are. The guy that cuts, <laughs> the guy that gets that cuts forty-seven dovetails in four seconds. <laughs> no. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. all heart shaped and uh, <laughs> and ears, ears and stuff like that. It's, That's right. <laughs> have their stuff set down to precision levels. But yeah, this actually sounds pretty exciting, Dave. Because if I can keep the rest of this on top of my head while using a lock miter and actually getting some decent results, that would be a miracle. You would be well, a miracle the, worker. <laughs> uh, um, the thickness of your material. So if you're using three quarter inch material. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty common. You first have to just identify the middle of the the middle of the the thickness of your piece. So you make a very fine line at the three eighths point. So now you've found the middle of the piece of wood you're using. I'm good with that. Now you have you have that's pretty easy. I can't even do that. <laughs> and, you, and you you have to find now you have to line that line up with the midpoint of that profile. Do you have in your, in your mind what the lock miter looks like? Mm-hmm. kind of comes down, comes out, comes down, comes back. It's seared into my memory, David. <laughs> yeah. So you just have to find the midpoint of the profile of the bit and line that up with the midpoint of the thickness of your stock. Tom, that's so straightforward. Why did you have a problem? Because I'm a jackass. I'm sorry. <laughs> But this this little this little this little jig that I'm working on that's almost done, it's a little tiny thing. It's about that big, and it sits right on the bit itself, attaches to the route to the router bit. Hmm. Okay, and it attaches to the router bit in exactly the midpoint of the profile. So. Without giving too much away, because I haven't, uh, uh, we've only filed the provisional patent at this point. You just align. It just tells you. It, there's a little arrow that says here, and that's where you line. You put your wood on the router table, and this is the here, and you raise and lower the the, the lock miter bit until you're right. Then you take that piece of wood and you put it against your fence, and that's there's another line that aligns your fence. And you're done. And I tested it three or four times, and I mean, I made a perfect lock miter joint the the very first time I tried it. And trust me when I tell you, I'm not an accomplished woodworker. And uh, so, so far, so good. Well, David, the beauty about that is if you make something idiot-proof, just somebody invents a better idiot. 
So you're looking at Exhibit A right here, sitting in Florida, down the street from where you're located. David, uh, one of the things that people always ask about is, you know, what different bit, uh, bit qualities. Um, you know, you can go to the local importer store and buy a box of 100 router bits for like 15 bucks, or you know, you can spend some money on a single profile. Um, when it comes down to that, when what are, what are you getting when you're looking at a different uh, quality router bit? What are, what are you getting? You're getting the selection of the materials, and there's a big, there's a very wide spectrum of materials that you can buy to make these tools. Mm -hmm. um, you're getting the design of the tool. You're getting the quality control processes that ensure that every one of those bits made are exactly like the one that was just made prior. Okay. So you don't get, you know, the chances of you getting a bad one are basically very nil, very clo close to zero. Okay. Um, but the, you know, the, the, um, the proof is in the pudding. Mm -hmm. So if you get a, a cutter that you, that works well for you and it cuts very cleanly and it lasts a long time, then, you know, that's something that you should be comfortable with. Uh, one of the things we're going to do in this router class is I have bits from companies that I've bought over the years and we're going to compare and contrast the infinity line versus some other products, some other lines and pull out the details as to why something might be better than something else design wise. Okay. Okay. Now, now, David, before we leave, and we're closing in on the end of our time here today, um, care and maintenance. A lot of people think that their um, uh, their bits, their blades with carbide on them, are in, never need to be sharpened, and they can just be handled like any anybody's business. What What are some of the care and cleaning tips that you would offer? Well, carbide. If you look at um your tools after you're done using them and you know they they gather the resin mm -hmm. and it just sticks onto that carbide it cakes on there and it gets hard mm -hmm. and a lot a lot of people think their tool needs their tools dull and it's just dirty okay. you know you you a carbide edge has got to be clean for it to function properly because you know um, it needs to be sharp it can't be caked on at that edge it's not cutting anything, it's just burning. Okay. So um, when you're done using your tools, always, always clean them. If you ha The easiest thing really is just, um, I mean, I, I also use soap and water with a wire brush. Mm -hmm. Soap and water with a wire brush takes the resin right off. Um, saw blades can soak overnight in soapy, hot soapy water. Okay. Um, and that doesn't affect course, the braze, the attachment to the, uh, to the No, 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 no at all. <laughs> If you want to do a little bit of damage to the environment, you can use one of these um, cleaners. We sell them; they work really well. Okay. Um, so yeah, clean clean them often, and that oh. that'll that'll oh. extend the life dramatically. Avoid oven cleaners. We don't use oven cleaners. Um, I don't necessarily think the oven cleaner myth. I don't. I don't know. I haven't tested that. I. I, I, I don't think the oven cleaner myth is actually true. I, I'd like to put that on MythBusters, mm. and I don't think it affects the braze of of the tool at all. I think you could. I don't think you need to go that crazy though. Like I said, I think soap and water works really well. Okay. Fair enough. And if you have a bearing, does carbide rust with you're you're oh. saying with the soap and water? 
No, carbide no, shouldn't no, rust. I, I, I was just curious. You're you're saying open water. Okay, that was that was curious. You know, typically something that's high car when you say carbide, you know, you think of carbon, and typically something with high carbon is going to. But I didn't think carbide mm. would. So Mm-mm. no, no. Um, try if you haven't tried soap and water, try it. It works really well. You bitten, we we saw a lot of bitten blade bitten blade cleaner, and that works very well and very fast. Mm-hmm. One of the All biggest right. uh, culprits of that is that the your planer knives. Really? You were say, yeah, you were saying carbide mm-hmm. before. You know, one of the the last bastions of high of steel is is on the planer and the joiner. Mm-hmm. A lot of people won't you know a lot of people won't buy carbide planer or joiner knives. They only want to use high-speed steel knives, and so mm-hmm. I'll, I'll have them on the phone. And I'll say, well, "Why don't you use carbide-tipped planer or joiner knives?" Ooh, those are pricey. I like, but they last ten times longer than your steel tools, and you don't use steel saw blades or steel router bits anymore, do you? It's a mindset that woodworkers have that I've noticed for planing, planing and joining anyway. The guys that haven't gone to the spiral heads with the carbide inserts, etc. With the straight knives, there we sell a lot more steel knives than we do carbide tip knives. But the math is simple. The carbide knives cost about three times as much as your steel knife, but they last about ten times longer. Wow, good point. Can't argue yeah. with math. Yeah. So the I can per, never figure you know, it out. Your, your price per board foot, you're a lot, you're a lot better off buying the carbide tip knife. But it, it gets back to the original point was keep it, keep them clean. Okay. So, so David, I've got one more question I have to ask, and because you you've talked a lot about just kind of advancements in in you know technologies and kind of things that have been came up with with over time, and with I mean obviously there's you know things in production stuff, and, and I know sometimes you can't talk about all that, but what do you see? Is there things that you see that's coming up that's going to change in, in, in any of these industries, or are they pretty well going to go like they are, you know, materials-wise? Or Do you mean, like, will will the tooling change? Will the tooling evolve? Will the... So, yeah, any of that. I mean, just is, is there any materials other than carbide that you see that, that that's going to come online and people are going to use or any any differences in the toolings? I mean, is there anything like that that, that you see that, uh, that that could change in the in the future or the relative near future? Well, there have been some other advancements in carbide technology. That's another thing that I'm exploring right now for a new line of tools of saw blades. Um, with some carbide that lasts a lot longer than even the current C4 hardness of carbide that we use on our saw blades. The problem is they last a long time. The problem is that when you we sell a super general, we call a super general saw blade, and it's about $110 for general purpose blade. Once you, start, once you start, once you, once you get, a get a guy who understands the difference in a $110 blade versus a $30 blade, there's not, there's not a lot of guys, guys left that want to spend $100 on the general purpose blade. So you, so you market, market is very narrow. So now so when you start, you start talking about, about that, that, same that same saw blade, a 42 costing $200. But it, but it lasts, but it lasts four, five, five times longer than the $110 carbide, carbide blade. Your average, your average your life is like, care less. Care less. Most guys, most guys, but for but industry, industry, when you're in when production, you're production and you are and you measuring how much how much cost you cost in order for it to cut, cut. Now, now that's really that's where really most of the advancements are coming from. 
it, 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 it comes from people who are willing to pay the money for the, for the, for the technology. Well, David, uh, we're actually starting to have you break up here a little bit with your sound. Um, uh, there's some sort of feedback loop going on with your with your uh, microphone. So um, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Since we're also at the last minute here, I really want to thank you for being out tonight. Um, anybody who wants to find out more about Infinity Tools can go to infinitytools.com. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Swing on by. Check it out. And, uh, David, thank you very much for coming out this evening. And uh, hopefully we get that feedback loop fixed before you start sounding like a cyborg anymore. Thank you. Thanks very much, guys. It was nice meeting all of you. Nice meeting you guys. Thank you, David. Thank you. David, thank you for coming out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's always nice to get people on that are not only woodworkers, but but actually uh, some of the products that we actually use. So we appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. Well, next time, if, I, if I'm fortunate enough to be back on, I'm going to show you all the stuff I've built this year. Now, that would be awesome. And if, and if you do, let's, let's send us some pictures of the first project you built, and we'll post it on the MWA page. Yeah, that's a deal. Okay. David, take care. Have a good night, okay? Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, David. Good night. Wow. You know, you start, you go down to the store, you go online, you order a saw blade or a bit, and, and you think to yourself, there's nothing to it. There's a lot that goes into it. And it's pretty amazing. I think we're going to have to have him back on and talk some of the uh, designs and, you know, some of the trendy router bits that come out, like, you know, the canoe edge lap ones and there's a million router bits out there suddenly everybody wants to have them. But really, it's kind of cool when you look at the technology that goes into it. Yep, sure is. Sweet. Yeah, I think we take advantage a lot of times. We talk about, you know, just just the people that are actually doing the woodworking. But, you know, if, if it wasn't for some of these uh, tool manufacturers and, and blade and bit and all that stuff manufacturers, a lot of our work would be a lot harder. A lot. Hey, you're telling me that, yeah. That's actually hand tool woodworkers. Just, well, speaking about hand tool workers, this is actually the second person we've had on who is in a woodworker. The first one's Ron Hawk, who makes That's the right. who makes the, right. the, the the irons for the uh, for the plane. So yeah. good, high quality guest. That's what you get. The hosts are another matter altogether. <laughs> next week, by the way, speaking about tool makers, uh, next well, actually, I don't know if it's next week, but maybe two weeks. Now, two weeks from now. No. Um, uh, we got a real treat for you. Um, legendary hand plane maker Scott Meek will be joining us. So uh, please be sure to come in. We've got some really wild things going on. He he makes some planes. Hey, wild. maybe we could talk to him about doing a carbide bit. Um. <laughs> Carbide plane blades. <laughs> plane. <laughs> now we're, now thinking, we're talking. I'm thinking we might be up for some. David, when you're listening to David. this, I want you to pay attention. we got an idea for you. <laughs> We've got some ideas here. We are the people with the ideas, but no concept <laughs> of how it works, <laughs> which is part for the course. Again, once again, proving that we have high-quality guests and hosts. That's the way it works, kid, in the big city. All right. So it wraps it up for the show, and and we're we're happy to have that. Um, We're happy to be here for it, of course, uh, as your host. Um, I'm Tom Iovino of TomWorkbench.com and at Tom's Workbench on Twitter. Chris Atkins, where do people find you? Of course, I'm Chris Atkins at HighRock woodworking.com or you can find me on Twitter as among other places uh, Twitter's at at HyrockWW
Sweet. And Diami, where, where do people find you on, online and on the Twitters? Well, on the interweb, I can be found at penultimatewoodshop.com. And on the Twitters, I am at Diami Plotke. That's D-Y-A-M-I-P-L-O-T-K-E. You always have like such hip names for the the, 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 the Twitters, the, the Twitters, and the interweb, yeah, the party line, all that fun. It just sounds stuff. so fancy. Doesn't you know, that, that when you're that, from Long great. Island and the sun is doesn't it, come is out? Is it Long Island? I mean, down south, we're, Long we're just Island. It's a very <laughs> fancy place here. See if you guys ever come uh, in the daytime, you'll see how fancy it is. There's never That's... daytime in Long Island. Just remember that rule number one. All right. If you want to find out more about the Modern Woodworkers Association, be sure to visit modernwoodworkersassociation.com for up-to-minute happenings on the many different chapters, and follow us on Twitter at mwa underscore national. And if you want to start a chapter on your own, just click the Join MWA tab on the top. And remember, membership is free, but the connections you make are priceless. Doesn't that make you want to throw up? I'm resident shop monkey Tom Iovino. <laughs> wishing you all happy sawdust. Remember, get woodworking week. Woo!